Michelle Aspinwall is a wise woman, a soul who's lived many lives and in each one has cared for others. We started our conversation with laughter, as old friends would, something that reaffirms we've crossed paths before in one of our incarnations. During this conversation, we discuss how she supports women in aging timelessly. Let's face it, we're all going to age, but embracing it and doing it as gracefully as possible is the way to go. Age builds character. Life experiences can harden you, but they can also soften you, allowing you to set into yourself confidently and comfortably. There's something magical that happens to a woman entering her 40s. Our version of femininity shifts as our hormones fluctuate, and most times than not, quite honestly, this can be a little scary. As Michelle describes it, placing positive awareness on that change and transferring that fire we still own are pivotal to honoring the end of an era and to celebrating the beginning of a new one. Life, death, rebirth, repeat. No met nobody kill your dreams. So there you go. We're opening with laughter today. I love that. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Journal podcast. This is Paola, your host. And today I'm with Michelle Aspinwall. And she is another Instagram friend. And, you know, I feel like I'm building all of these friendships through Instagram. And I keep saying it sometimes technology and we just experience some of that can be horrible, but it's sometimes it can be great. So welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. Hi, Paula. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I know we've been trying for a while to connect, and we finally are talking. So I'm, I'm in heaven right now. But it, you know what's so funny? Because we are in contact so much through Instagram, I, your voice is so familiar to me. I feel like, I, you know, we started, I feel like when we started talking, we just started talking and didn't even say, oh my God, hi, nice to meet you. Absolutely. And I feel the same way. It's like we were talking to each other and then like, I listen to your Instagram stories every day. So your voice and your life is so familiar to me, but actually the a back and forth exchange is kind of like, oh, we're finally doing it. You know, it's funny. Yeah. And especially talking on the phone, I, uh, the other day, when was it? Yesterday, there's this friend, this new friend I have from the gym. And instead of texting her to see where she was, because it was going to be a lot of typing, I called her and she was like, oh, hi. <laughs> Is everything okay? It's like, yeah. And, you know, we were just talking about that. I feel like women, I for I personally have this thing that if somebody calls me, I think there's something wrong. Me something too. bad happened. Me too. Exactly. Right? It's like, is it, is it an old ingrained thing? Like, we always have to be on and ready to, yeah. like, save somebody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> but talking about saving, you work with women and supporting them in aging timelessly. And I love that word, timelessly, because, you know, we are all going to age, but aging gracefully and timelessly sounds like a beautiful idea. So tell me everything about that. So I, I first came about this idea through working with a coach who, I mean, I don't know about you, but the millennial generation is incredibly fascinating to me. I am one of those people who 
when my age bracket, so I'm going to be 48 very soon. And when, I mean, 48 in like people years, but in my mind, I'm forever 27. It was like a fantastic <gasps> year of my life. Like I met my husband that year. I graduated That's from my NYU. Number. Is that your number? That's awesome. It's my number. That's I'm awesome. forever 27. Okay, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like 48 sounds like... I mean, it sounds like a dinosaur. And in in some respects, and in other respects, like I'm still the same woman who was like at the limelight on top of speakers listening to like, <laughs> you know, whoever sing. I mean, it was just, it was like back in the day, right? So mm-hmm. this idea of, of aging timelessly for me, and and when I work with women, the first thing that they'll say, usually one of the first things people say to me is, oh my gosh, you look so young for your age, which for the vast majority of the female population is a huge compliment. But mm-hmm. to me, I don't, the, the concept of time is a little bit different than I think is, than most women see it in that I'm not trying to defy time. I'm certainly not trying to turn back the clock by any means. I've lived a very full grateful, warm, you know, expansive life so far with plenty of ups and downs. And I'm really looking forward to defining age my own way. I mean, you've, we've all seen women who are 70 and in Zumba classes, and we've seen women who are 70 and in a rocking chair and very, they don't have the mobility that is conducive to a healthy lifestyle. So mm-hmm. when I think about aging timelessly, what I mean is sort of defying any kind of stereotype when it comes to what a 48-year-old woman looks like, acts like, feels like, eats like, parents like. I mean, there's a lot of parenting stuff, which I, you know, I don't know if we'll get into it, but I don't parent like the typical New York City, Upper West Side parent either. So just, I just don't fit into those stereotypes and nor do I really want to. And so the women that come to me generally are sort of on one spectrum. They're tired of the sort of glorification of youth culture. And mm-hmm. going back to the millennials, I am in awe of what 28 to 32 year old women can do, what they've done so far in their life, what they believe that they can do, what they believe they can have, and the way that they are quite literally changing the landscape of corporate America and wealth consciousness. I mean, I know so many women who are 29, 30, 31, 32, who are seven figure owners of companies. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know about you, but that just gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. my life at 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, there was no wealth consciousness at all. (laughs) I mean, like I didn't, it wasn't even afforded to me like that, just that concept. So anyway, I'm, I'm in awe of the millennial generation. I'm not one of those people who bashes their ethical, you know, narrative or, what they're doing, saying, spending their money. I think they're incredibly inspiring. The ones that Mm -hmm. I've come in contact with. So when I say timeless aging, I mean women who are uninterested in turning back the clock, who are uninterested in the status quo, uninterested in looking good for their age. I mean, I don't even think about that. I just eat really well. I eat huge quantities of food and... I live big. I dream big. I have a big personality. Like 
for, for better or for worse. Like my family of four, we all have really big personalities and we live in a really small space. And I mean, a modest space, I shouldn't say really small, but we live in a modest space. And sometimes it's literally like our apartment is like, combust, like internally combusting. So that's what timeless aging is for me is just, you know, defying all sense of ageism, both positive and negative, and really kind of saying no to injectables, Botox, cutting, cutting out of anything, organs, skin, body parts, you know, all of that. That's Mm -hmm. my MO. And I, you know, I could go on for hours, but I think I'll, I'll keep it there for short and sweet, right? No, that's lovely. And I mean, I'm with you. I'm for, I just turned 43 and 27 is the year where I stayed in. I wouldn't even say mentally. It's just there's something about the energy of that year. And if you ask me, I don't remember what happened. I just know I had a lot of fun. And I felt very wholesome. And I think maybe I was heading into my 30. I don't know. There was a combination of events and feelings. And I felt free. And I was outside. And I had friends. And we were doing just fun things. And it stayed with me. So even today, you know, the older I get, sometimes I'm like, yep, nope, still not feeling it. Because when I grew up, you know, I met my grandma when she was in her 50s, maybe early late forties, early fifties. And she already looked old. Mm. She looked like an old lady Mm. and she had gained all this weight. And you know, that typical story where she was very beautiful when she was young and she married my grandpa when they were young and they had kids and life happened. And at one point she just looked and sounded like a different person. You know, when you see pictures of your, I mean, at least for me, I would see a picture of her from her youth and then I would look at her in person. And I was like, how is this the same person? Yeah. And then it happened to my mom, a person who I would never think it would happen. Like my mom was so vibrant and she had us when she was very young and she was very active and very proactive. And then somewhere in the middle, something started to happen. I mean, she did have some health issues, but now she looks like a different person. And again, I don't know if my mom listens to these mom, if you're listening I'm sorry if I offend you, you can call me out on it. I don't think so. She's very open about sharing. But now she looks like a different person. And it's how do you manage your hormones? Because it all does go down to hormones. I I feel like these days I've been in conversation with my friends and I feel like a few years ago, I would be like, okay, I'm, I could track my cycle by how I felt. Right. So okay, I know I'm ovulating and a few days before I feel this way. And then a few days after I feel great. And then I'm going to PMS and I'm going to crave some foods and I'm going to feel a little bloated and then my period. And then after the period, I'm going to be good, you know, quote unquote. And now I feel like I'm down to like a good week. Like I'm either PMSing or have my period or ovulating or some hormonal shifts that happen and, and the cycles just get more intense and more and shortened. And, you know, it's a little, it, it, things are getting a little wacky. So the work one has to do to just continue to feel not even in control, but just to feel happy and healthy and normal for what normal means to you. It takes a lot more awareness. I hear you on the awareness segment. There's like 700 topics I could go off 
based on everything you just said. But the the crux of it here for me is basically we are biocomputers living in a very modern industrial age. And yet we still, from an Eastern perspective, we are we have not evolved fast enough to catch up with how quickly our environment is changing. And, you know, everyone talks about environmental toxins. Everyone talks about, you know, the internet and how quickly information is disseminated out and EMF and all of, we could go down that rabbit hole, but I feel like thousands have done it before us. And I think it comes down to a few basic kind of shifts in perspective when it comes to women and the transition that happens in their 40s. So a lot of women, so as I said, I'm, I'm about to turn 48 in a couple of months in April. So I'm like halfway there, I guess. And what's really interesting is the difference between 41, 42, 43, and 47, 48, 49, 50, 51 is unbelievable. And I, I, I think that's, I don't mean that from a negative perspective. I mean, it's quite literally you can't imagine the shift that the body is going through. And in the Mm -hmm. East, when they talk about menopause, they talk about the transition and menopause isn't really this word in the East and a lot of women. And I mean, like in traditional cultures, meaning cultures that still eat food in its original state, unique to that geographical region. And they are still very connected to the earth and connected to their circadian rhythm and also the people of their, you know, intergenerational connections, they transition through menopause almost effortlessly. I mean, it's managed Mm. for sure, but it's seen as a transition rather than a symptom management or God forbid in the Western paradigm, a disease state. And so Mm -hmm. women that I work with and, and me just speaking about my own transition, I mean, it is it is nothing short of miraculous what my body is trying to do right now. And when I think of it in that way, the different stages of anxiety that I go through certain months or the different sort of mood swings I go through in the weeks in, in, in my four week cycle, I do still have a a very regular four week cycle. It's by no means easy, but it is quite regular. And the way that I've gone about supporting myself through lots of different things, through really using Western biohacking, and I, I, I really loathe that term because biohacking <laughs> in, in and of itself is actually, defi- if you define it, it's basically taking science and technology and trying to alter the physical state of the body to function at a higher state, but actually we can do it completely natural without all of, without the majority of these very expensive devices that a lot of biohackers use. And by no means am I, am I saying it's not worthy to, to try and do, I mean, there are certainly biohacking techniques I use, but I don't think of them as trying to hack into my body and change it on a physical state. I think of it as enhancing the very natural things that I hold very sacred and dear. And so back to the mindset shift, if women actually think of this transition as a transition rather than, as I said before, a disease state where you go to your doctor Mm -hmm. and you ask them for something. I mean, I'm on a lot of these platforms on Facebook, all these groups 
about menopause and perimenopause. And I am never not astonished by the amount of women that are asking other women, what do I do? What do I take in order to not have this symptom? And I'm thinking to myself, I would no more Mm -hmm. ask a complete stranger on the other side of the world, what to do with my body. Then I would ask my OB what to do with mm-hmm. these symptoms. It is not the, a Western doctor is not trained to help you manage the, the vast majority of doctors are not trained to manage this transition. They have no idea what to do. Now, if you have precancer cells, or if you have a lump in your breast, or if you have an abnormal pap smear, or you have like a hormonal, like a true hormonal shift that's measured through blood or urine, Mm -hmm. absolutely, they can help you in that respect. But they're probably not going to help you with herbs or botanicals or sleep tactics or looking at your diet, because that's just not how they're trained unless they've gone on for specialized. I mean, the vast majority of doctors are not trained in nutrition science at all. Mm -hmm. So they don't even know how to help you nutritionally manage estrogen dominance, which is completely manageable. No, it's it's crazy. It's an elective. (laughs) It's an elective. It's crazy that, I mean, the, the, the easiest way into the body is by putting something in your mouth. I mean, we know the skin absorbs, we know there are other things, but eating has a direct impact on, I I read somewhere recently, they were saying the first thing the vet asks you if you take your pet to the vet is what did they eat? My doctor never asked me what I eat. And again, I don't want, I know I I tend to, with my guests, hover around the subject of Western medicine, but unfortunately it's, I just feel it's incomplete. A few episodes back, I spoke with, Kimberly Kelly, and she's a Chinese, she's an acupuncturist and traditional Chinese medicine doctor. And she, the way she described it was so beautiful. She said, it's almost like modern medicine took the newer stuff and forgot mm-hmm. about the old. So every, re, every piece of research, any historical techniques, preventative care, you know, modern medicine is used to cure. Like you're saying, if there's a manifestation of something that is tangible, we can take care of that. We can, we can take it out. We can remove it. We can medicate it. But the preventative factor, and that's why people like you and I keep coming to the surface. And there's tons of people like us doing all sorts of different work because there is so much need for it. How do we support each other through going through these moments in life where like you're saying, do we, do I go in a chat group? And I mean, that's how women learn. Yeah. We sit in circle and we talk about stuff and we, we share with each other, but why aren't they, why aren't doctors providing the service we provide? That is, oh, let's look at how you eat, how you move, how you sleep, how your mind is, how, how are you managing stress and give techniques? Because, you know, from what I know from menopause is hot flashes you're not going to be able to sleep your libido. It, like I don't, I, I'm already 43 and I'm heading there and I still have no clue what's mm-hmm. going to happen. You know, it's not like people are, are really sharing and talking about it, but I want to know what to do to not fit, feel on the crappier end of it, you know, like wh- how, and 
it's, it's, it's almost like taboo. I feel like it happened to me also with childbirth where when you're pregnant, there's a lot of support for the time when you're pregnant, but before and after it's almost like, well, now you're on your own. Now you got a kid. And it's like, I didn't know my body was going to feel this way in my mind and this and my boobs yeah. and my belly and my hips. It's like, can somebody tell me we don't, we don't talk about it unless we're asked, but there's also, yeah. where do you go? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I was in awe of the amount of liquid that was coming out of my body from every orifice, like every hole in my body. There was so much liquid coming out. I was like, what on earth is going on? I, I, I feel you completely. I mean, I knew a little bit about what was happening after childbirth, but I, my first child, I had an emergency C-section. So I, that was like a whole mm -hmm. host of, I'd gone through all this training in the Bradley method. I don't know if you know that method, but anyway, and you know, they don't teach you what to do when you actually start to have major complications. So I was trying to labor at home and it ended up mm -hmm. being almost disastrous for my life, but we made it, we made it just in the nick of time wow. to the hospital, but I was hemorrhaging massive amounts of blood at home. Yeah. So it was a little wow. scary, but I hear you on the support and I, I don't mean to diminish groups by any means. I just, what I just always find it shocking that women that they literally don't know what to do. And the place that they turn is to, is to groups of people who are, can be very supportive, but are asking big questions. And it's a little scary. I mean, there's, it's kind of like the herbal, the, the explosion of adaptogens and herbs in, in, mm. I mean, they are medicinal. And I, I heard one of your podcasts earlier, yes. you were talking about how, I mean, they are very strong herbal remedies. And for a lot of women, they can actually do more damage than good. And I think they're, touted mm -hmm. as completely safe. And to some extent they are, I mean, they're not going to kill you, but you can quite literally alter the functioning of your liver, the functioning of major, your kidneys, major organs by using adaptogens in the wrong quantity or the wrong or mm -hmm. lesser quality, if you will, like really knowing where things come from. But back to the group situation, I mean, women, we, you know, Paula, we should really create some kind of group together. Like I, I mean, when we get off the phone where I'm, I'm going to like drill you for yes. how can we do things together? Because we really have a lot, <laughs> we're aligned in a lot of ways, but I think women really understanding the stages of perimenopause is enormously important. I mean, I, we were laughing before we started this. I said, there's nothing sexy about these words. Like there's no way to make this sexy and talk about <laughs> it. And I feel like that's in, in our lives. We're always trying to make things more enticing or, you know, sexy to talk about or juicy to talk about. And this is one of those things like in our Western culture, there's just no way to identify with this because it's all seen as like the downfall of femininity, right? But again, in, in some of my messaging on, on Instagram, certainly, and when I do talks, I'm really trying to shift that mentality of this is the downfall of one thing. I mean, in Chinese medicine, they really, if you look at it from a graph, like young people, like the prepubescent or pubescent children, they have a lot of vitality, but not very much intelligence, like worldly intelligence. You know, I mean, obviously children are incredibly intuitive mm -hmm. and amazing and wonderful. And I I'm humbled every day by my boys. Like they teach me, they keep me so humble. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But, but as we age, the shift goes from our vitality lessons and, but our, our, our intuitive gifts, 
our sense of awareness, our sense of ourselves, our sense of our environment and how we're changing and the lessons, the great ancient lessons, Buddhist or however you want to want to, to define it. They really, they are, they really kind of develop in this time of life. So I feel like one, not for all of us, right? Like all of us seeing that it, that this transition Mm -hmm. of energy, this like very strong womb energy that it takes to grow and sustain life within us. And then mother, these, these young beasts, these Neanderthals into full adulthood takes a very specific kind of energy. And then as we transition out of that and through the change, right through the transition into becoming very wise, very woke women, it's a, it's, it's a very Mm -hmm. different mindset. So when you think about from the East really sees it as an energetic, a yin and a yang exchange, right? Like we're very young early in life and we're very yin, like protecting our yin energy is really important. And a lot of those symptoms come from a depletion of yin, right? So the darker side, when, when mm-hmm. the darker side of us, yin energy is seen as like the dark to the light, right? So when we are depleted in sleep, depleted in nutrients, depleted in connection, depleted in many different areas of our lives, then our balance, our, the shift of energy isn't, is such that we feel the overage of one thing and then not enough of something else. So I think just really shifting the narrative between, you know, what pre, what the womb energy feels like, and then once it shifts out of there, where does that energy go and how to harness that energy for mm-hmm. our greatest good, you know, whatever that means, whether that means being the greatest mm-hmm. mother you possibly can or the greatest partner or changing the landscape of women's health or, you know, going back to school and becoming a doctor or writing the canons or, you know what I mean? Like whatever that means for, for that woman, mm-hmm. there's so many women in history who have done their greatest, most profound work in their fifties, sixties and seventies. And I, I truly believe that that is mm-hmm. this energy shift from, Again, and some people define that as, you know, doing what we're told, fulfilling the role that we're meant to fulfill and procreating and really being, you know, the vessel for 20 years of our life. I don't really Mm. see motherhood that way. I see it as like one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been granted in my life. And it was not easy to become a mother, to transition that, that child out of my body was not an easy transition for me and really dealing with my mortality at 35 and then again at 37, almost 38. It was big. It was to have a second kid after that first one was mm-hmm. nothing short of a miracle. I mean, I really thought I was like one and done kind of thing. And then and then my little oh my one flew goodness. in yeah. like a little hummingbird and was like, uh-uh, we're going to do this again. We're going to show you. Michelle, our stories are so parallel. It's creeping me out. It's like the same thing for me. It's the same thing. (laughs) I had my daughter at 35, which took a while to get her. I had recurring miscarriages. Now in hindsight, I realized I had, I've been always hormonally imbalanced or I've had hormonal issues that nobody was able to talk me through. So between not being able to conceive, then conceiving and not retaining it, and then finding somebody that could hold me through a chat group, you know, that's how, how, you know, women sharing information. 
and then had my daughter emergency C-section. Same thing. I was done. And then my, I like to call my little man a surprise. He was a surprise. Yeah. He was a really yeah. nice surprise. But yeah. motherhood, and uh, it, it's scary. And it's it's a blessing, but it's stressful. And it puts your body through crazy stuff, especially us that we had children. I mean, at, after 35, you know, there's more tests. They want to oh, do yeah. I didn't do that. But it's like, you are old now. You yeah, know, exactly. Like, you have exactly. a scarlet O on you, and now you're at high risk. And it's like, well, I actually feel pretty good. But, you know, I feel like also a lot of these women, for example, I'm going to use this word issues. Like, why is there a negative weight to everything that has to do with us? Like, for example, oh, she's hormonal. Don't pay attention. Oh, you're acting crazy. Are your hormones off? It's like, okay, negativity around hormone and hormonal health. Oh, she she's having fertility issues. She's it's issue. Yeah. Everything is like these words that are just like why can't like what you're I love what you're saying because it's putting menopause in this light of a second it's a second wave and how you yeah. handle that energy. You can do that fire energy that comes from those lower chakras and from the yeah. uterus and from your grounding and your belonging how do you channel it and your relationships and your connections into something more creative and not think that it's an end of something but the beginning of something new yeah I mean it is by definition it is the end of something and there is a mourning process I mean as I get closer and closer and I'm literally watching my body change it's not easy. There's no, there's nothing easy about this transition, but why should it be? I mean, why should this be effortless? When you think about it, when you think about the profound gift we've been given every month to check in with our bodies, that there are distinct times that we feel certain ways and other times we feel other ways. And then we have this incredible detox for three, four, five, six, seven days a month where we, our blood balance changes. We have the ability to rebuild it. I mean, it's an incredible gift, right? Mm. Like until about 10 years ago, I mean, it wasn't a gift to me. It was like this thing I had to get through every month, right? Mm. Like we just have to shift the mindset to really see the gift in everything. And I think that's, that's a huge part of it, you know? And I think by, I know for me that I, I'm sure most women who are doing this, we've all had our health scare at some point. I mean, mine was at like 30, 31. And I was like, okay, this is, I mean, I had another one at 35, but a whole different thing, but living with pain and living with a chronic illness. I mean, it's nothing short of a miracle to like, just get up every morning, get myself out of bed and like, okay, we're going to do the thing. We're just going to do the damn thing. Right. So I think just shifting mindset has been a massive and really understanding how the body works both from, and I, I really, I hate that I have to use the words East and West because it really, even using those words makes it sound like the West is all, is all this and the East is all that. Mm -hmm. And the East is becoming very West and the West is becoming very East. And so, you know, it's this, it's like putting chlorophyll in water. It's like that beautiful, like explosion of color and something that's clear, but you know, I, I just find that the, the greatest gift I have is really shifting my perspective and not putting weight, too much weight where something doesn't need it and not also not 
giving something enough weight that might need a little bit more. And you can say weight, you can say emotion, you can say awareness Mm -hmm. or consciousness or, you know, who knows, whatever. But I think just really becoming aware of this, the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we label, the way that we describe things and, and just bringing a lot of intention and purpose to it. I mean, that's what I've tried to do for sure. And kindness, like self-kindness, you know, there's a a lot of people love to say self-love, but what does that mean? It's being kind to yourself and being gentle with yourself and holding yourself and creating space for you to feel and, and, you know, and, do what you got to do. And, and yeah. you know, it's like, we don't, we're not so nice to ourselves most of the time. We're now we're harsh. We're hard. We push, we can do better. You know, that's a sentiment. We can do it all. The more boxes you take every day. And it's like, you know what, take a moment and just chill. Yeah. Just sit down. And I would love for you to share some of the other self-care techniques you use on yourself with the audience or things you recommend if anybody's going through any of these shifts like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first, we didn't really touch on the hormone aspect that you, you know, you were asked talking about hormones and really Mm -hmm. understanding hormones. I mean, I think the thing that I think women are usually really surprised about is where hormones are messengers, right? They're messages that go from the brain to other glands, organs, places in the body that actually create a shift, right? They ignite something, they channel something and understanding, you know, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the pineal, the hippocampus, the orbital frontal, the amygdala, all the different areas of our brain and understanding that everything we do has a consequence to something else. So stress, when people say like, oh, stress, it's like there's real stress, like physical stress we're going through, whether it's environmental or, you know, you're trying to avoid being in a car accident. And then there's also perceived stress, right? So mm. I think really for women, understanding the difference between actual real stress then external like environmental stress, those are things that for the most part, we have a 50-50 amount of control over. Like we, you can't actually clean all the air you breathe, but you most certainly have control over what you clean your house with, what you wash your clothes with, and what you put all over your skin, right? And so understanding that perceived stress is actually the thing that women need to learn to address and manage. And I think the concept of perceived stress, so that's like, racing around. We are, as mothers, we are the glue, right? We're not the mayonnaise of the family. We are the glue of the family. And so we get the breakfast on the table. We get our husband's like stuff all together if we need to, or we help like manage the day, or can you pick this up, that up? You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. What are you going to get this? And remember, don't forget that. And then you've got to get yourself up and out, right? Because most families I know are two family, you know, Women are taking over the world. Women are creating empires. Women are changing the landscape of what it means to be a mother, right? And to exist in the world. So, but again, stress is huge. So some of the things that I do around stress is like, for example, this is going to sound really simple, but it's, it's actually very big for me around digestion. I do not eat until I have sat down and taken a few really deep breaths so that to some people that looks like prayer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I really, 
sit and breathe because I, I have an auto, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease like 17, 16, 17, 18 years ago. I don't even remember what year it was now, but, and one of the things that really alters is how I digest food. And so really managing my perceived stress is enormously important. It like is a game changer to me. So, but it also helps me in terms of, you know, how I feel like in terms of temperature. So like, again, hormones, we have a surge of hormones when we're, we feel like there's a lot going on. So taking deep breaths helps me manage my body temperature. It helps me manage my, my digestion. I don't, I don't even like the word manage, but here we are. I'm using it in the hopes that I'm answering your question. Yes. So yes. Absolutely. Taking deep breaths before I eat. Cause I'm one of those people who like, I said, I eat large quantities of food because like <laughs> 70% of my plate is plants. And so I do eat animal protein almost at every meal. And it's something that as women age, they need more, most women, not all women, but most mm-hmm. women need complete amino acids from animals in my practice, I've noticed that's like one of the big trigger factors that can make a woman actually feel worse. They think mm. that to lose weight, they would do better to let go of animal protein because it's high in fat. And a lot of it is high in saturated fat and cholesterol. But actually, it's the thing that helps keep women from losing more muscle mass at a greater rate than we already are. And it actually helps with managing nutrient nutrient levels, like especially the B vitamins. Mm-hmm. You just can't get that from plant protein. Absolutely. Even spirulina, even like the really high protein, you know, plankton type food, you just, the body doesn't process. It's not the same. It's not the we same. We need a little animal. Absolutely. We need a, and, and that's something that I talk to my clients a lot about and I respect when people choose not to eat them. I was vegetarian and vegan actually for many years on and off. I would dabble in adding a little bit of something mm. and then taking it out. And I hit a wall one day. I was so nutrient depleted that it just started showing everywhere. My hair was falling out, yeah. my skin. And, you know, no, I wasn't just drinking green juice and eating lettuce. I was eating very robust, of you course. know, full whole grains and plant foods and the greens and, and sea vegetables and all that stuff. And the second I put animal protein back in my diet, my body was like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as thank you so exactly much, yeah. right. As we age and you know, this as well as anybody, but as we age, our, our ability to digest and break down food changes. So we actually need we really have to get serious about what we're eating because we're not actually getting everything. Even if you're eating like the greatest diet in the world, like you're not actually, we're only as good as, I mean, we, your diet can be amazing, but if you can't break that food down and assimilate those nutrients, it doesn't really matter that you're eating like biodynamic, this organic grass fed, pasture raised, whatever. So that's kind of interesting. But so Perceived stress, you asked me, what are, what are some of my self-care? Really, really detoxing. And, you know, this is like a whole other can of worms, but I'm a huge, huge believer in using timed eating. So some people call it intermittent fasting, but I call it mm-hmm. like really understanding the best time to sleep for your constitution and knowing when to eat and when and what at what quantity and what how to combine your food for the most strategic and nutrient dense and you know from ayurvedic perspective like digestifier 
And that's really unique woman to woman, age to age, you know, geographic. I mean, I've worked with women in Australia who are, you know, in a completely different hemisphere. So it's like, it's very specific to who you are, where you live, what age and, and your ancestral heritage to your blood type. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. And I learn with every person I work with. It's really dynamic. So if somebody wanted to work with you, how can they find you? Because it's just, I mean, this is, this is so needed, the work you're doing and the, the guidance you're providing. And I love what you just said. Every woman is different. So going to a chat group, yeah, you might get information, talking to your friends, but you need, I, I do tell people, Just find your flavor, find the person you need, build a little village. So if somebody wanted to find you, like, I I think I'm going to come see you. (laughs) (laughs) And where can they do that before, before we stop talking? I think we're going to have to do a part two of this conversation because we should dive into more of that. But for now, that's amazing. If somebody wanted to come see you and, and have you help them out, where can they find you? Okay. So as we speak, I am redoing my website. So at any given day, who knows? Okay. But my website is my name. So michelleaspinwall.com or on the socials, I'm Instagram, Michelle P like Peter Aspinwall. And then on Facebook, you can, I have, multiple pages, but you can email me at michelle.aspenwall at gmail.com. You can direct message me on anything. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I'm pretty much everywhere. So that yeah, I think, you are, you're in the ethers. You're I, definitely. I'm out there in the, in the, on yeah. every interweb possible. So I think that's probably the best or email is fine. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much Thank for you. sharing Thank your you. story with us Amazing. and I'm fascinated. I'm telling you, I, I, we have to do a part two because we have to keep raising the awareness and you have so much information that the world just, you know, our sisters need to hear. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Paula. You too are a, a breath and gift to this world. So it's a delight and I would love to do a part two. I'm going to cry. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, paolaatlason.live, and you can also find us on Instagram at paola.atlason. Sending you so much love, and thank you.